My name is Lexi Nowitzki. I am the Principal Investment Officer at Singularity Investments, based in Nigeria. Based in Nigeria. Now, you've had uh, an extensive career working in investments, uh, much of it here on the continent, at least some of it, and, and, um, and uh, part of it elsewhere. Please tell me, from an investment uh, uh, standpoint, what's different about seeking out the best investments on the continent versus, say, other places you've had to do this job? Uh, well, a couple of things. I, I think that companies certainly find me easier. I don't have a problem with deal flow, that's for sure. Um, in terms of actually finding the quality ones, though, it's much tougher. And, and we see a lot of teams that probably haven't had the professional experience in their industry trying to build a, a venture around it. And, and that's you know a lot of case when there's very low unemployment in general um, you see that the cost benefit of starting a business makes a lot more sense to these people but they haven't actually had the experience working in the industry uh, of course cost of capital is much higher so you see companies that also probably haven't had the angel fin financing in earlier rounds um, which means that they're you know they're they're either not growing as fast as they should, um, maybe don't have the mentorship as well that comes along with that angel capital. Um, and and we come in at a little later stage, so, so a lot of those companies are too early for us, and that's definitely something we've seen a lot of. Please unpack the word quality used in, in, in your statement just now. What, what does what is what's uh, loaded in that word um, at, you know, for the way in terms of the way you think of singularity around the quality of an investment? Um, so there's a couple of things that we look at, um, and this is singularity specific. It's really important to us that the business model itself is has massive scale potential. Um, we're not really focused on the Legos only models. Another aspect is is that it's uh, a new technology. We're not very attracted to kind of the copycat models. Um, you know, the African internet group sort of guys trying to take something that's worked in another economy and bring it to Africa. That's not as attractive to us. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> what, what, Ooh. What, is more, what is much more attractive, and we see especially the local environment as being a good incubator for kind of those technologies that maybe work best in Africa when they're growing and trying to test the model but are really globally scalable. Um, so that, is, that in terms of business model, um, in terms of, of of teams certainly having the either experience working at a company, the entrepreneurial background of having successful ventures or even unsuccessful ventures and learning from them is also important. Um, and uh, certainly unit economics and traction, um, those are two things that I think are necessary for us. Um, we're not super attracted to CapEx heavy models up front or models that are driven by substantial marketing spend. Uh, so we will really do look closely at unit economics as well. Okay, well, that that's sort of strange to me because um, a lot of the rhetoric around the difficulty VCs have in terms of finding investment, uh, some of the rhetoric includes the fact that uh, the, the investments aren't at the right size. So you, you, I would have thought the bigger the better on some level, right? But uh, you, you're not looking for a, you know huge capex up front. That's I don't know how does that work? Uh, yeah, so size isn't always necessarily better. <laughs> Fair enough, but I mean, uh, for a lot of people, they feel the pipeline is not delivering the sort of value or investable value from a size standpoint, even if it were to deliver value. Uh, you know. Right. So maybe I should clarify a little bit. Um, 
very uh, software focused models are attractive to us. Hardware focused models are less attractive. So there are certainly some cases where we're looking at hardware focused models. Um, but the problem you have with that is, is they have to come up with the CapEx up front, finance the assembly of their items, and then try to distribute. And usually their sales cycles are much longer. Uh, so if that company had a bit of traction already and it was already moving, or if it was a situation where you could actually make the business model for them, and, and that's often the case if they're marketing especially to the mobile network operators, then it could make sense. But otherwise, we tend to stay away from those business models. And so as far as singularity, like how weighted is singularity in a certain space and tech? Are there certain, is there a certain pet area for you guys at the moment? Yeah, so um, there's several. Um, let's see. I, generally, we really like mobile services when we're talking about B2C. Um, so technology that leverages off of the massive distribution network of the mobile network operators. Uh, on the B2B place. We, we also like services that especially cut costs to major industry players, particularly in the telco space. Um, we like cutting costs more than building additional revenue for them. We, we think that that's actually a place that's underpenetrated a lot or not focused on enough. Um, we certainly like some natural monopoly plays that, that have happened across Africa, and that's a, that's a space we look at. Um, I also very much like the business models that focus on the black woman globally as a consumer. So I think that's something that can a business model can sort of start here but expand globally to the black woman globally. Um, let's see. Yeah, also, you know, there's a lot around fintech that we, we were focused on as well. Um, just really solving the right problem at the right time is important. Right, and so in terms of scalability, uh, in terms of the scalability you, you seek in the investments you, you'd like to sink you know, cash into, um, do you think regionally or do you think internationally primarily? Uh, Beyond the borders of, of the continent is what I mean. Uh, do, you, do you like businesses that focus more on potential on the continent or on potential around the world? Um, potential around the world for me. Um, and, and for us, it's, it's probably important to mention that I'm very um, entrepreneur agnostic. So I, I don't need my entrepreneur to be African. They can also be European or American with an Africa-focused business model. Um, so we, we see a lot of those guys who are coming in Nigeria as their first market, but they would expand globally as well. The problem I might have with that is that in a global context, I find that true innovation happens on the continent far more than I'd say it happens elsewhere in the sense that, uh, you know, the definition of innovation in the developing world might involve being able to book my movie tickets so much easier than I did before or being able to catch an imaginary animal in the park or something like that, whereas there might be very Africa-specific issues that are important to solve um, that might not, you know, that might not be pain points in a more developed market. Does that mean if I have that kind of idea and I'm listening to this, I shouldn't even bother giving you guys a shout? Well, they, they also might be pain points in other emerging markets, right? So it doesn't have to be um, just Africa or just Lagos focused. Uh, the, the point that I was trying to make is that I think that in a, an economy like I'll take Nigeria, for example, because that's where I spend most of my time, where you have a very unloyal um, 
mobile subscriber base, so they're willing to switch networks very quickly. In incredibly price-sensitive consumer base, and also a mobile network industry that has to roll out to rural areas under regulatory constraints, um, and but these areas are, are places where the average revenue per user doesn't really make sense given their high capex model. All of those factors are very unique to Nigeria with a large population that actually make developing technologies that suit that market and incubating them there. It's the most ideal environment to do that, but these business models might also work in the U.S. as as maybe the you know there's higher switching costs there, so it would it, they'd have to be tested and proved in other markets as well. And where do you think this trend towards say the, the Lagos the quote unquote Lagos only or Lagos first uh, you know the drive towards Lagos only or Lagos first? Where do you think that comes from? And um, is it do you think it's it's grounded in in, in business fundamentals? Well, it's, it's certainly grounded in macro factors, right? I mean, people are seeing um, it's a massive population that's been underpenetrated with, with services. First time smartphone users having access to all of these new goods and services. So it's an extremely attractive market. Um, why would you, why would anyone start a business and basically say, I'm not interested in the rest of the world? I don't know, <laughs> uh, but but many are. And and look, I was just on a panel with uh, Jason and Joku, and he said actually exactly that. He's not interested in ev even other metro areas outside of Lagos in Nigeria. Um, he thinks that there's enough consumer base there to to grow healthy, happy businesses. And he's probably right. But um, for us, it's just not the scale we're looking for. Uh, I'm willing to take some of those longer bets, and hopefully have a. a you know, another a unicorn, and I do think that there are unicorn potentials that can happen in this market. Let's talk about that because I feel like there might be an unhealthy fascination around the idea that the next unicorn could come out of Africa. Not that I have an issue with, you know, I have any issue being uh, open to the idea or even optimistic that it could happen. But I just feel like, isn't it like an over uh, You know, sl there might be slight and over enthusiasm in that in that uh, direction, and it might in fact harm. Uh, the, the pragmatism startup founders need to have in order to just survive what may be five years of nothingness before maybe <laughs> something happens, you know? Yeah, look, I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, if you look at um, Asia 10 years ago, uh, they certainly had a, you know, burgeoning entrepreneurship and, and tech ecosystem. And, and now there's been a lot of unicorns that have come out of that space. Um, I'm not saying that that should be an entrepreneur's focus, uh, getting to be a, you know, a, a great big company or something even that will attract Silicon Valley money, which is a lot cheaper, by the way, and it is attractive to, to get that money into your company. Um, but I do think that the, we'll see a lot more of that coming from this continent. I mean, the there's a massive population that uh, you can really distribute services over the mobile devices, higher uptake than any other market, um, and some great entrepreneurs starting businesses. So I, I think that that certainly will happen. There's a profound data scarcity on the continent that continues to you know to pervade um, pretty much every industry, and uh, one wonders. I mean, uh, I know you've got. Um, you you were a business analyst many many years ago. You you dealt had to grapple with data, and certainly as an investor, um, one likes to think that many of the decisions you make are based on data. And uh, 
whereas for, for Africa, this is a massive blind spot for all of us involved in, in, in starting and investing in businesses on the continent. How do you balance your background in crunching data or at least using data to make informed decisions with now leading investment drives on the continent without it, or at least with much less you, than you might have wanted or needed? Yeah, so that's definitely, definitely a problem. Um, I do think that founders are focusing a lot more on that internally. And, and they're, I love founders that tear apart, uh, you know, who their customer base, how they're acting on their their app or their websites, um, and look at kind of as much data as they can once, once they've launched. Um, I also think that that's a huge revenue opportunity for, for companies to kind of monetize that data. And a lot of the companies we're invested in, that's part of their, their revenue model as well. In terms of investing without the, the data, I think that that's why you have to also be on the ground. Um, the information isn't there, but, but being on the ground and actually, you know, speaking to people, feeling it every day. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a due diligence hack. I mean, there's no other way. <laughs> and as a percentage of the deals that you, 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 you know, you, you see through, you know, out of 10, how many of them actually hunches based on what you just said? How, how many, how many deals that, how many deals would you typically close out of 10, say out of, out of every 10, would be based on experience, intuitive, uh, an intuitive understanding of the environment you're in as opposed to, say, data on a screen? So 10 out of 10. <laughs> what? Really? There's, a, there's at least a factor of that in every company that I've invested in. Um, I mean, look, some, some have business models that we have worked in... Um, I'm contradicting myself now because they're business models that have worked in other emerging markets, and now we're we're trying to sort of replicate that in an African context. By the so way, so there is some data, and and certainly it's, but that's not something you'd like typically to copycat necessarily. Yeah, I was going to say. By the way, it's not working the same way we thought it would because it's a totally different market. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we we look at numbers, but at the end of the day, the amount we can rely on it. Um, it's it's hard when you don't have a lot of information, and hopefully that'll get to be better and better over the next couple of years. And I think it will. People need to share their data more. And so it's getting really competitive in your space. Uh, many VC players, I know uh, Nest VC coming in last year. Uh, y Combinator on their way to, to Lagos in, in you know in no time at all this year. Um, I spoke to Toro Herrero of Draper Dark Flow doing interesting things up uh, in well based in Ghana, but certainly impacting. Uh, the entire West African space. I wouldn't say the it's it, the, the fish, you know, the, that you know the the pride is feasting on itself just yet. But certainly a lot more competition than we saw maybe uh, in you know five or ten years ago. How are you responding to that at Singularity? And um, it, it, are there any collaborative plays we, sh- we should expect to see on the horizon with other players uh, coming in from abroad and perhaps already here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing about our model is, unless it's not specifically in our industry of expertise, and I would put that industry of expertise very much around telco infrastructure, and sometimes mobile services, but very much on the telco infrastructure side, we we 
I mean, we always want to co-invest, but we would very happily participate in another lead of any of these other major firms. Um, you know, we don't... Is that a flag of peace you're waving? <laughs> yeah, it is. And we work with a lot of them already. I mean, I think it's a... It's a collaborative environment. I mean, you mentioned Draper Darkflow. We've co-invested with them. Um, a lot of Silicon Valley firms that are now looking at the market a little bit, we've co-invested with them on, on some deals as well. Um, Tencent, uh, Social Capital. Um, yeah, so I, I... How clever do you feel about Tencent, though? You have to admit that has to be... I don't know if anybody expected that to work as well as they, they did when they first, you know, punted it, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the <laughs> but they have a lot of smart people in their firm. Um, so anyway, going back to your question, I think that the more capital looking at this market is, is better for the rest of us. And a lot of them are also on the, the earlier stage, which just means there'll be better pipeline of deals for me. What, uh, what sort of friendly words of warning would you share with uh, f friends who are endeavoring to enter this this you know, this investment market while based abroad and not having had spent a lot of time here on, on the ground? Uh, so it's much harder than you think it is. And that's what I thought. I mean, I, I came, um, let's see, I, I spent my first time in Africa back in 2009, uh, moved out here in, in, to Nigeria in 2011, thinking that there was a, a massive opportunity. Uh, the reality is it's much harder to get things done. Um, regulatory factors, uh, talent. Um, now we're de dealing with economic and currency issues. Um, and, and just like the, the slowness in, in which th things move, I think it's a very difficult environment. And, and you have to be sure that you know and understand the entrepreneurs you're working with very well. It's important, it's important to see them every day. So in a chat that I had with Tommy Davies um, recently, he reckons, uh, he told me that um, he's pretty certain that a bubble is going to burst. And this, is, uh, it, and, and this is interesting, particularly interesting coming from him because he was part of the major dot-com burst of the 90s, uh, famous, famously part of one of the biggest flops of that, of that era. And he just reckons he's quite pragmatic about the, the fact that these things are cyclical and, and, and I mean, a, a, a bust is, is inevitable and we, we should all sort of expect it and not be surprised by it. But also that's just the way things are. He, what he didn't give me specifics on is exactly which part of the tech bubble or where the, the cracks are going to show first. You're in investments. You're part of driving um, either a sense of you know, profound enthusiasm in certain directions and certain sectors within tech or cautiously pulling back on certain areas by deciding where your money should or shouldn't go. What would you say? Um, what would you predict for the next sort of two decades where he's pretty certain something massive is going to have to happen or something will happen inevitably? Um, so, so he's probably thinking kind of the venture world in general. Um, and I would say that seems to also be the tone in, in the Valley, like valuations have, have been a little bit overinflated and we've seen that a little bit in some of the recent deals, I think that have been done in Africa with, you know, some big Silicon Valley money. Um, the valuations have gotten too high for us to want to participate as, as local investors where co our cost of capital is much higher. Um, 
but where do I think it going in, in the next two decades? I mean, going back to my, my point of Africa holding a huge amount of opportunity and not having really penetrated that yet, I, d I don't think a burst will negatively in, in affect this environment. I think that there, if you're talking about risk-adjusted capital, I could still see a lot of international money flowing into this space. Um, because I think that the ecosystem is becoming more and more developed and the, and the risk is, is becoming lower for these investors to enter the market. And so Chinovic put out uh, mid-year you know, finan well, financial results a, a while ago. Journalists like I had, had never really looked at them as closely as we should have, considering that they, you know, they, they basically have on their portfolio the likes of Rocket Internet, who, you know, it, and indirectly control a massive part of the e-commerce scene in, in, in Nigeria. So nevertheless, if you're not up to, up to speed with what's happening or what, 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 the, what they revealed, basically they revealed a market size, well, an existing market or an existing e-commerce user base that was significantly lower than any of us might have expected. What are the nasty surprises about just how not as big or not as <laughs> not as huge as we all think uh, what other sort of data points like that do you think are lurking in in nigeria's tech scene as far as uh, uh, you know perhaps areas that have been overhyped over promoted or perhaps even just because of the lack of data we've made guesses that have just that are just so off point what would you guess man that's a tough one um what else are we wrong about <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's really that's really tough. Um, I think, in a positive side, I think that there's a lot of. Um, I think people believe that Nigerians, especially now, are not not using as much data on their phone as they actually are. I think there's a lot more data usage that's been happening in the past even three months. Um, that's really, we're seeing a big turning point there. And I think that information isn't out in the market yet. Um, Is that price driven? Do you think? I think it, I think it's, I think it's price driven and I think it's just a, a general a, adoption of, of people using their, their mobile phones more. Um, and, and there being other alternatives for media consumption on, on their phones that, you know, the subscription models probably don't work as well, but but free or ad driven content probably does. Um, so I think it's a combination of, of both of those things. Um, it's interesting that you you made me think of something else. Brandon Doyle, CEO at Convergence Partners, um, did tell uh, you know has told me that um, broadband prices are coming down because them them being a, a major shareholder in Seacom, he's obviously privy to the to the fact that they're delivering wholesale broadband cheaper at cheaper prices than ever what's interesting is the lag <laughs> uh, of, of the you know that the price cuts actually making their way down to the consumer level what's what's the holdup do you think uh well look i think that the mobile network operators they they have a very cost-heavy business model in general i mean it's it's not just getting the data in from CECOM. I mean, it's also investing in base stations, paying um, operators of towers, yeah, paying great big fines. Uh, so they're trying to recover a lot of their costs as well. So they've probably tried to keep costs a little higher. Um, but, 
yeah, there's been massive cost cuts recently, possibly implemented because of a softer economy um, and, you know, the need, you know, more competition as well. Uh, Do investment firms like uh, Singularity see themselves as a, as a disruptive force in the context of legacy players in the financial industry, uh, you know, who clearly haven't kept up with or don't seem or haven't seemed nearly as willing to take the risks they ought to for the betterment of, you know, or to, pr- to m- promote innovation on the continent in general. Do you see, a, do you see yourselves as, as disruptive innovators in the, as far as investments are concerned? And how, what's the relationship you guys typically, ha- typically have with incumbents like Barclays Africa and, and, and Standard Bank and, and, and players like that? Um, so let's see, we, we certainly feel that we are able to be smarter capital, um, than any of these big players because we, um, we spend a hundred percent of our time in, in the ecosystem. Um, I would say the bigger financial institutions, I mean, they're, they're making decent returns, collecting deposit and putting it in bonds. Uh, so they don't really have a lot of interest in taking these risks in, in a space that they don't understand very well. And I guess I understand that. Um, it just means more opportunity for us, probably. Are we a disruptor? Um, well, I hope so. I think so. Do you think, what do you think they, what do you, in, what's, in what tones do you think they, they mention you in, in their boardrooms, do you think? I don't think they even know who I am. <laughs> no, no, not you personally, but you, the industry, the, the sort of uh, the VC industry that's you know in the tech scene. Do you, do you think they do you think they lose any sleep thinking about um, about you guys and, and the work you guys do? I don't think that the the banks in general do, and and but we do see some of the bigger private equity firms that are interested in this space and are looking more closely at it. Um, Yes, these are some of the large global PE firms that, you know, their minimum check size would be $50 million. Um, but, they're, but they're much more interested in setting up kind of smaller vehicles to, to really invest in this space also. And we also see a lot of the big consulting firms uh, that are looking at it. So um, Accenture, um, GE is also a lot of these places have set up smaller venture capital arms to, to hopefully find innovation that will help their own business. Uh, and typically what size tickets do you guys roll out? Um, so it really varies. I would say we are comfortable around 300K to 1 million, um, but we've done smaller than that and we've done much larger. So I kind of think about our fund assets to be split 50-50 between our first round of capital that will go in and follow-on rounds and, and probably 20% of my portfolio will actually qualify for those follow-on rounds. And we shouldn't assume because you're Lagos-based, you're only looking at at, um, at startups that, that are in Nigeria. Uh, would that be correct? No. So we are... We do have a country focus in Nigeria, Cameroon, Cote d'Ivoire, Rwanda, and Zambia. And the reason for those countries is that's where IHS, who are closely related to, has a presence. So we feel it's those markets where we can actually add value and we have people on the ground. Um, But certainly pan-African business models that have some sort of operations in those countries or are looking to expand are also interesting for us. What's What's the most annoying recurring 
issue you you find in startups that present themselves, you know, for your consideration? Yeah, so the, the number, the two major things that I love to see that I don't think I see enough of are details on traction. Sorry, firstly, I just love how you turn everything into a positive. Is that because you went to Varsity in Hawaii? <laughs> I've been trained well. <laughs> oh, the media training is shining through. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we do have a media training firm that we've invested a small amount in. No, no, no. I, I, give me the number off mic after this because I mean, <laughs> they're clearly doing it. No, you're doing really good yourself. Give yourself some credit. Uh, thanks. Um, so is a, a slide on, on traction, and that can be various different things. For some companies, it's revenue. For others, it's how many active users you have over a period of time. And, and I want to see a lot of growth in, in a, a period of time also. I mean, if you have 10,000 active users but have been in business for three years, that's not as interesting to me. Um, partnerships, contracts, that sort of thing is, is really important to see that traction slide. The other thing that I n hardly ever see that's super important is something that really breaks down the unit economics for me um, very clearly. I don't really like slides that show your projected income statement, projected balance sheet, cash flow, but I want you to break down on that customer, how much it takes you to acquire them, what you're going, when you break even from that customer and their lifetime value, that's, that's what really tells the story to me. When was the last time you were pitched and just were blown away? You were just you were signing the check as they were speaking. <laughs> uh, I'm much more conservative than that. Ah, <laughs> I thought I thought it was the Hawaiian thing that might just come in there, and you're like, "Here you go, buddy." No, that's that's never happened to me. Actually, the fastest deal I've done was probably with Paystack. Um, we we wrapped that one up pretty quickly, and a lot of it was because of the team. Uh, we had a lot of confidence in them to be able to really iterate their product if, if something didn't work they could they really had the capacity to build around it and you know they they were arrogant they were willing to learn now you're quite obviously at least perhaps more obvious to me because you're right in front of me but maybe less obvious to some of our listeners you're quite you're a woman in a male-dominated space which quite frankly is true for most spaces but uh, unfortunately when it comes to business is there anything about your experience do you think that has been unique to you simply because you you're operating as a, a, a minority really in 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 investments? Yeah, yeah. So I'm also a white woman, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So on the continent, that makes you like a pinprick on a pinprick on a pinprick. <laughs> yeah. So um, look, if I can just. Uh, boost my gender a little bit. I do think a lot of women, um, we do have some of the, the softer sides that are also very valuable to early stage investing, and that can be developing relationships with entrepreneurs um, or also really you know, understanding the character of who we're working with uh, and also being able to relate to women entrepreneurs, which I think is a very undertapped space. Um, so I think that that's, that's a benefit and that's been an opportunity for me. Um, I can't say that there's ever been any inhibiting factors. Uh, I'm also, I can, you kind of see this a, a lot in some of the markets where there's clicks in between, you know, the, the black Africans, Indians, Lebanese or whatever. Um, I don't stand in any of those groups so that I've also seen a lot of deals kind of flowing across 
those spaces. Um, so maybe it helps out in, in DealFlow. Um, but also just being international in general, I think, helps a little bit on the perspective and, and being able to look at some of these business models. It also hurts because I, I don't have a local perspective on a lot of things and probably don't understand customer behavior as well as somebody who's grown up on the continent. I have been here for four and a half years, so I'm learning more every year. And I think I'm today a much smarter investor than I was even a couple of years ago. So hopefully t speak to me in 10 years. Right. And are there any any mistakes you've made like picking up on the point? Firstly, I need to make make it clear that I've, I've asked, you know, women in business, you know, women in tech and business that question. And I've once or twice um, they've been frustrated by the fact that's not a question I'd ask a man or even a white man, you know, who would still be a minority here on the continent, at least in terms of pop population. But um, does it frustrate you in any in any way that that's even part of this discussion? Um, no, I actually think that, that that it's important. I mean, there should be awareness around not enough women being in the industry in general. And I'm, I'm actually very active in women in private equity circles. And uh, we, we speak a lot about trying to advertise the industry as something that, that really does suit the characters of, of, of women. You know, a lot of people entering in the market go through the investment banking path. And that's you know, it's, it turns a lot of women off because it's extremely misogynistic. Um, the The work hours are not conducive to any sort of family life or relationships. And you see a lot of women exiting the industry after that. But to kind of communicate to women that are trying to get into this space that it is actually an attractive, exciting job for women and we have a lot to bring in terms of our perspective, I think is a really good thing to get out there. And uh, uh, no, uh, dialing back to something you said about perhaps not understanding the environment as well as, say, someone who'd, you know, who's native to it, um, are there any mistakes you've made, major mistakes you've made that come to mind that resulted directly, as a, that came as a result of, of that specific issue? Um. In terms of judgment or judging an opportunity or judging an individual's potential or... Um, or the size of an opportunity or something like that? Um, so something I've seen in, yeah, so in, in a company that we um, have invested in, I've definitely seen, um, so the entrepreneur is very driven. Uh, he has a lot of side hustle, though, as well. Um, so he's he's growing a lot of businesses at once and it's not just the business that we've invested in and that's detracting I think a little bit from the growth um, so that's probably something I didn't really fully understand when you know it's something that's generally hard to protect for I think as, as well even knowing it I suppose the, the shark tank mentality is come on do one thing I want to see you quit your job I want to see you put everything into it and if you're doing anything else you're clearly not committed enough you don't deserve my money and I suppose you can't bring that approach to m most situations in an investment scenario on the continent. I don't. I can't say all or many or all or m most. I can say in many cases that you couldn't just you know bring that attitude to to the table. Well, you can try. It doesn't mean it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, no, and no, I. So that's maybe one thing I didn't understand well enough. Um, and. I guess it just goes back to making sure that entrepreneurs is, is really compensated well enough if his business does well, and that might mean um, 
you know, KPIs to be met so to reach follow on capital. So more investment is put into the business. I'm, I'm still also learning as well. Um, another thing I think that I have learned is, is just how, um, actually getting the average consumer to spend daily on something is very, very difficult. They're ex extremely price sensitive. Um, so you have to think of other business models that'll actually work rather than, like I mentioned, uh, subscription services, or this is a really, has been a really hard model to get done. Right. And so, um, how do you deal as a, as an investor, uh, how do you deal with the fear of missing out? We're at demo 2016, you're sitting in the aisles as all these, you know, these businesses are pitching themselves. There are other entrepreneurs here. There are many other invest, investors, angel investor types, VC players like you. Um, how much pressure is there to, to be on to the next thing? And how much pressure do you put on yourself not to miss that boat? Um, so I think it comes down to trying to stick to what your investment thesis actually is. Um, what what do you actually believe to be true in the market and what investments will do well because of those specific things um, and what can you do better than any other investor and trying to really limit I mean we see a ton of deals every day and there's a there's a lot of great companies in this event uh, but not all of them will really fit into that criteria for me so it's really being strict and trying to stick to that thesis and and then yeah we will miss out on some great stuff do you lose sleep over that? Uh, I mean, you must have, you know, said no or ignored or just, you know, you ignored some things that went on to be huge successes. Do you kick yourself over that? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, yeah, I can I can think of a couple that we probably missed out on. Uh, Care to share? Andela was one. No, I would have guessed that, though. I really did, because you're in Lagos. They, they, they obviously came, came out of that, and now... They're this thing, and y'all are not part of it. Yeah, no, we're not part of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's some other there's some other good ones that are growing pretty quickly, but it really kind of it's really we have to stick to what we think we know how to do best and how we can really um, give the companies we're investing in some sort of unfair advantage in the market. If we can't do that, we're we're not best positioned to especially be the lead investor. So what are you particularly bullish on right now? So you gave me a whole list of things, which pretty much covers all the tech. But I mean, what are you particularly, like what's really, and it might not be, it might not be a hot ticket everywhere else. Like what are you personally like really big on at the moment? It might not even be something you guys invest in simply because, you know. So I'm, I'm personally, uh, I believe there's a huge opportunity in media and really around video um, I mean, we were speaking about e-commerce earlier, and that's what a $500 million industry a year, whereas Nollywood is a $3 billion industry a year. Um, but it's an extremely fragmented market, and, and few players have actually done well to kind of get that on one distribution platform or to consolidate it. And I think it's very hard to do that, um, but I think there's a huge amount of opportunity if somebody can figure it out. And if I made you steward of the last million dollars on the continent right now, to spend in the next half an hour, what, what would you put it in? Is your answer the same? 
Uh, as as you know, as what you're bullish bullish on right now. Unfortunately, not. I don't think a million dollars would be enough to do it. Uh, maybe it would be enough to start it, but but I think maybe something a little lower hanging fruit in financial services is interesting, um, or some. I also going back to another point I made earlier. I think some services that really help the telcos cut costs. We've seen a lot of those things. That certainly, for a million dollars, you can make a, a big impact. Fantastic. Well, it's been quite an illuminating conversation. Thank you for giving me your time. And uh, this wouldn't be your first time in Johannesburg, surely. No, I've been I've been around here a lot. Um, unfortunately, my my South African network, especially among the investors, but the entrepreneurs as well, is pretty lean. So that's what I've been trying to kind of do here at Demo Africa. Fantastic. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure chatting. Um, here's to hoping we see you around soon. Let us know when you're in the hood. Okay, great. Thank you so much.